Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Varying Viewpoints podcast series, sponsored by the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice at Rutgers University. Um, I'm your host, Natalie Passov, and I have the pleasure of being the Communications and Research Coordinator for the Proctor Institute, um, as well as the Rutgers Center for Minority Serving Institutions. Uh, so I am here with our very special guest, um, Joanna L. Jenkins, um, who is one of our visiting scholars, um, and she is also affiliated with St. Joseph's University, but she's mainly a practitioner and um, you're a consulting base, right? Um, so I'll let you kind of introduce yourself in a little bit, but to kick us off, you know, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm excited to be here today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yes, I'm so happy to have you. Um, yeah, we're, we're thrilled to be having this conversation. You know, for some background, we'll kind of be talking about um, and kind of exploring the importance of media studies, um, the intersectionality and resilience associated with publishing during the pandemic. Um, and we'll be discussing your recent book, um, which is titled Insecure, Awkward and Hashtag Winning, which I love. So I can't wait to dive into that title. Um, so, uh, Joanna, to start us off, um, can you just give us some insight about who you are um, and your background? Yeah, so I am a scholar. I'm a researcher. Um, I've delved in the creative world as an advertising practitioner, art director, creative director, um, also a professor and administrator of those programs as well. So I feel like I have often created these bridges for students and faculty to either create curriculum to go into creative industries and also had the pleasure of um, developing research and, and strategies and strategic planning for um, corporations who either want to make connections with emerging professionals who want to um, delve into research in that area and um, exploring spaces of like consumer awareness, ethics, and um, representation. So. Awesome. Well, I, I'm so excited to pick your brain um, and your wealth of knowledge when it comes to this topic. Um, so let's get into it. You know, you recently published um, that book, uh, Insecure, Awkward, and Winning. Um, so can you just speak a little bit to how that project came about? Yeah, there were a lot of factors that contributed to the um, creation of this project. One that was, well, two, I'll talk about two that were pretty interesting. One um, was that the Pop Culture Association decided to expand and explore its is subject area, which is a pretty, I won't say monumental shift, but significant shift in that a lot of times when we conceptualize pop culture, we talk about general markets, the preferences and norms of general markets and kind of like global phenomenon, which doesn't always delve into um, the preferences, beliefs and values of historically excluded audiences. Sometimes we do, like if we look at, you know, if we just kind of look at pop culture phenomenon, like if we might look at like Michael Jackson as like a breakthrough artist, breakthrough icon, but generally it's it's the general market. So it was great for Pop Culture Association to expand and explore looking at pop culture within 
um, audiences of color. So Black pop culture, which gives you an opportunity to really delve into um, cultural studies, right? Like the relationship between pop culture and cultural studies um, really allows us to look at, at text. It allows us to look at values and norms and beliefs in a very nuanced and um, kind of like personal way. So that was really exciting. Um, and that kind of dovetailed into this opportunity um, for us as scholars to say, okay, well, what do we want to, what do we want to study? What do we want to contribute in, in this space? Now that we're exploring um, and expanding our subject matter, what do we want to investigate further? And what was interesting with that is that myself and some other colleagues, um, one, we were friends. And then two, we all had these different research methodologies or preferences or expertise. And it was an opportunity for us to really come as we were to a particular area, right? So it wasn't like we were all trying to formulate a specific methodology to approach a subject area or align our um our goals and our agenda, we just really said like, hey, I study advertising, someone else was in gender studies, someone else was looking at media and representation, and we brought these things together and we said, well, why not explore something that's like fun and engaging in pop culture? So we decided to explore um, Insecure and um, the works of Issa Rae. At that time, it was a significant phenomenon in terms of saying like so many things, the technology, the audience base, the topics that were covered, even the disruption of HBO to, to other streaming platforms. So it was just so many ways that we could enter into this conversation. It created this very inclusive platform. So we decided... Um, to explore it that way. And what was really interesting is that we felt that it really touched a nerve in participatory culture because everyone wanted to contribute to the conversation. The conversation was so dynamic and so robust. And we got to talk about so many different things that if we had actually planned a topic, we probably wouldn't have been able to explore so many things with such passion and with such ease because you know, we were talking about something in pop culture with um, so many people have an inroads to talk about that, even if they're not a media scholar or technological, you know, scholar, things of that nature. So it really created a dynamic and inclusive conversation that allowed us to get some lesser known topics in the public sphere to gain more attention and um, more opportunities for future research and investigation. So that's how it's absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. It's so cool when, you know, these kinds of topics, interdisciplinary topics can kind of come about organically, um, especially with such amazing subject matter. I remember when Insecure, you know, first came out, it, was, it really was a phenomenon, particularly for exactly what you're getting at, you know, representation in media. Um, so that just sounds amazing as an interdisciplinary scholar myself, you know, um, I get it. It's it's so cool to just take one piece and just find all the pieces in it. And so and that's really awesome that this came about in the way that it did. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm stuck on the title. I'm thinking about the title. Insecure, awkward, and hashtag winning. Mm -hmm. 
what what's going on with that hashtag? What's can you speak to some some of the meanings behind the title? Yeah, the title was really interesting. And like even delving into like the title is actually a nod into the exploration of um the show itself, right? Looking at Issa Rae and and how it was so much of a disruption from what we normally see as like top down versus bottom up, right? Like we see in many instances in the past kind of like saying like, well, who gets to show? Who gets to be popular? You know, like that's some of the disruption that we saw in, in pop culture is that a lot of this was a groundswell to saying like, I'm going to go from posting something on YouTube to having a whole HBO series, right? And that was huge in itself. So putting Insecure in the title was something that was natural. But what's interesting about that is that um, Insecure starts with a lowercase i. Um, And so it was a bit of a disruption and we wanted to keep that in there because it was like that subtle disruption that has a huge and revolutionary impact. Um, that was significant with the publisher because in many instances they were like, this has to be capitalized. Like you're starting sentences with this. This is the title of the book. And um, there were a couple of things like capitalizing white, like capitalizing all of um, all colors associated with historically excluded groups. So that was significant in itself. Um, Awkward came about because of the significance associated with the Awkward Black Girl series, right? And because a lot of what we did um, with this interdisciplinary, intersectional approach really delved into folks' lived experience, um, it really helped the humanity of the project come to the forefront. And that was something that was really important to us as scholars because with our media backgrounds, we're very familiar with the traditional tropes as they relate to gender, as they relate to race, as they relate to geographic regions. So this awkward was really symbolic of the humanity and the lived experience and the backgrounds associated with interdisciplinary and intersectional research. And then the last one, like this hashtag winning was great because it's super fun, very pop culture. And then also too the significance of this historical disruption of this two-way communication, right? We have these hashtags where people are saying, this is what we're interested in. This is what we want to learn about. These are the topics that are important to us, even if no one else finds them important, right? So um, that hashtag winning was definitely um, significant of the social media um, and the taste and preferences shifting in pop culture. Absolutely. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Um, it, is, it really is a gorgeous title. It just flows right off the tongue. Um, and I do like the intentionality behind the lowercase i. I think that some of the best art is what goes against the mainstream, right? Um, so, you know, you mentioned the uh, intersectional nature of this work, right? Um, and I know that the the text kind of dives into topics specific to, you know, you mentioned historically excluded communities that can include gentrification, um, algorithmic bias, um, and even race in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you just speak a little bit to why you felt it was important to not only write about these topics, but um, amplify them? Yeah. 
So it was really significant, I think, for this twofold process of like um, the scholars, like empowering scholars, as well as acknowledging that some topics that are not a part of mainstream conversation are not always amplified in ways that they should be, right? Like, so in many instances, um, it's like the amount of time and attention that's spent on a topic sometimes distills into its value and importance when that relationship is not always one and the same. So being able to amplify these topics like gentrification, because if you live in a neighborhood that's being gentrified, it's a huge, huge thing. But if you don't, it seems like it's less important. So um, the other thing was that giving scholars the opportunity to decide what they feel is important to talk about and really empowering voices of scholars. Um, and that is something that sometimes we don't see in, in mainstream spaces, whether it's academia or whether it's publishing. Like sometimes um, there is there is kind of like a pointed direction, like, hey, these are the topics that are gaining the most importance and you would be wise to publish under this subject matter. Or, you know, you're going to get more traction or you'll get quoted more you know, you'll get referenced more if you talk about these things. And so it creates attention on certain subject areas and then other subject areas are understudied. So it was really important um, to empower scholars um, and also this relationship that we have with curriculum. Like this is a book, which is great for reading. It's practitioners, it's influencers, it's researchers, it's content creators all coming together to share their perspectives. At the same time, this is such a valuable teaching tool. So if we have topics that are understudied, how do they ever become studied if they're not a part of this public dialogue and conversation? So that was the twofold process to to empower scholars to say, hey, you kind of get to decide what you what you find to be important and to um, to raise awareness about topics that are not um, studied as frequently as they could be. Definitely. Well, we thank you for amplifying them, because that's what we're here to do as scholars, as practitioners, as researchers. Um, these are, as you mentioned, incredibly important topics. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you. Um, so you published this book during the pandemic, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What was, can you speak to what was significant about that process, both in your role as an editor um, and as an author? Yeah, it was, I mean, it's interesting because we started this before the pandemic. Um, and then when the pandemic happened, it was just so incredibly disruptive and also timely, right? A lot of the topics that we were talking about explored equity. It explored equity, it explored representation, it explored relationships with institutions, um, relationships with coworkers, um, even just changing the lexicon. Like that was something that like, you know, insecure 
was um, gaining a lot of revolutionary attention for is that they were really disrupting norms. You know, even looking at the Black body, even looking at gender representation, gender norms. And so many of those things came to the forefront with a lot of the watershed moments that happened like during the pandemic um, and, and 2020. It was just, it was quite a time to say the least to say the least. And so what was really interesting was walking this fine line between getting the work done and then also acknowledging and honoring what was happening to women, historically excluded groups, Black people, um, intersectional communities. Like in many instances, what we were talking about in the book is like, okay, when when calamity happens or when there's an issue or a crisis, in some instances, some communities are more vulnerable and there'll be um, exacerbating conditions in these communities. And then that's what we saw. And what was also interesting is that the like I myself am a Black woman, right? So I we're navigating caretaking, you're navigating leadership in the workplace, you're navigating, you know, extended needs within your community. At the same time, getting a book published. What was also really interesting is um, the shifts that were taking place in the in, in publishing. Like we saw like during this time, um, so many extenuating circumstances in the workplace, you know, great resignation, quiet quitting, turnover, like people prioritizing their health and wellness in very um, distinct and disruptive ways. So we were publishing during that time. And I will say one of the biggest or or a couple of the biggest things that we took away from it, um, especially in in a role as an author and an editor, was self-advocacy making sure that you maintain the vision throughout the process, right? And also emotional intelligence, right? Like knowing when to kind of push an issue and when to pull back on an issue, but at the same time, managing that fortitude to make sure that it happens. So those were those, were those like nuances that we definitely had to be mindful of. And also at the same time, really wanting to honor the people who contribute to the, I mean, because many of the challenges, we we had people that contributed to the book that were like working in social spaces and navigating these issues at the same time that they were writing about them, which which made it even more powerful to have their perspective included. So it was just like, oh, you know, if we need to extend this, then we have to extend this. Um, and at the same time, making sure that, you know, the project actually came into fruition. So it it was, it was definitely surprising. And I think it was, um, significant because of all the shifts that were taking place in publishing. I was working on another project at the same time. I was working on, um, a textbook like um, publishing a textbook at the same time as publishing this, which was more of a reader, um, two different companies. And the process was just incredibly arduous and very distinct, very different. 
Oh, I can only imagine. Um, well, those are all really good takeaways. Um, and I think something that our viewers would really appreciate hearing, um, particularly when it comes to publishing, but also, you know, maintaining that integrity in your work um, and allowing it to build yeah. based off of, you know, current events, right? Um, which is incredibly important in this line of work with, you know, media shifting. Exactly. There were a couple of things that we had to take back and address because it was just like, well, you know, we we have to um, talk about this. And that was one of the great things about the, the show as well, is that it addressed so much contemporary subject matter. So even when we saw like it being extended from season four to season five, and then a lot mental health came up in the, in the topics, like the election came up in the topics, like all of those things were there and present. Um, and it was like simultaneous, like this conversation was just evolving. Yeah. And that only makes, you know, these kinds of texts stronger, right? Yeah. Um, so really, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading. <laughs> um, so uh, moving on to your chapter that you wrote, chapter 12, mm-hmm. um, you know, in addition to tackling some of that algorithmic bias that you've mentioned, yeah. um, you know, it obviously deals with insecure and, you know, a lot of that representation in, in advertising, um, in addition to kind of the, the media sphere. Um, so can you talk us through that chapter a little bit more and, you know, mention any significant takeaways? Yeah, that chapter was, was really interesting. Definitely fun to, to write, um, at the same time, very draws a parallel to the book itself in terms of giving, um, raising awareness about understudied and, um, sometimes, topics that people we need to raise awareness about. So looking at, um, so in advertising, we know that we often have parody products. Like that's kind of like a name of of the game within our marketplace. Like if something comes out and it's popular, then expect to see more of it. And so we have seen that, right? So, So initially there was, you know, historical pushback about how communities of color and Black people would be represented. Um, Could they be leading characters? Did they need to be supporting characters? You know, are they going to draw this particular audience? You know, it was just so much. We could definitely have a podcast just specifically talking about that. Um, But when Insecure came out and basically shattered a lot of those previously conceptualized ideas, this kind of gives a signal to people who want this audience because this is a converged audience, right? Like people may initially think that only Black people are watching Insecure. That's absolutely not the case, right? So in looking at this as an opportunity and and putting on our perspectives from like a corporate background or an advertising background or a brand background and saying like, wow, now I can attract and influence this audience when we have an entire, you know, media ecosystem and landscape that's incredibly polarized, incredibly fragmented. Now you have this audience here that is extremely powerful, you know, very influential. And so you think like, okay, now does this create a hotbed for algorithmic bias? 
right? When you look at content creators, when you look at these contests that are online, when you look at social listening, when you look at um, consumer profiles and sign up for this and sign up for that, what actually happens to the rights, the digital rights and civil rights of these audiences in this landscape of big data. And so that's what I really wanted to explore in this chapter. I did an analysis of their website, did analysis of their social media, and looked at this to see like, is this gonna be a model that's gonna be used for future programming as a way to bring audiences in or lure audiences in without really providing like the safeguards. Because we know with algorithmic bias that many of the unfortunate inequities that people experience in real life, whether it's um, disruption in healthcare, whether it's um, economic uh, and, you know, discrimination and prejudice, we see this happening in virtual spaces. And so is this happening to consumer audiences? And if it is happening to consumer audiences, what are um, advertising agencies, media agencies, corporate entities, what are they doing? How, how are they treating this in their, um, in their agenda? In their, uh, whether it's a diversity agenda or an inclusive agenda or their technological agenda. So that's what I did in the chapter is um, presented a historical overview um, I reviewed the website, reviewed the social media, looked at this as a model, and then there was an opportunity to triangulate this data and findings with interviews from chief diversity officers and asking them like, hey, are you looking at algorithmic bias? Like, is this on your strategic planning? Is this a part of the scope of work? Like, you know, what are some things that we're doing within our ERGs, our BRGs, our corporate social responsibility plans? Like, where does this fall? And surprisingly, although it is monumentally impactful for consumer audiences across the board, it's not widely represented on the agendas within the workplace. And so that was what we were getting um, insight on further from the chief diversity officers, like how, you know, now that we know that it's not on there, how do we get it to the top of the agenda? How does this become a part of the top three or the top five? How does this make it on your strategic planning? So um, just, just in a similar vein of the book, it was about creating awareness for these really important understudied topics in order to raise awareness and to create safeguards for vulnerable audiences and to also establish best practices, right? Like as we move forward into this rapidly evolving technological space where we have so many aspects of media, culture, entertainment, indistinguishable things like, oh, I didn't know that I was signing up for this. I thought I was just, you know, putting in my password. And so um, many social listening devices and, and applications, you know, raising awareness about these things is, is really important because we don't want to purposefully or um, indirectly or accidentally reproduce inequity when we can create more awareness and create some safeguards, especially as we move into more spaces with, with AI. Oh yeah, you mentioned AI and that is just a whole other 
whole game. (laughs) Um, And no, you're absolutely right. Um, You know, in in current news and the contemporary space, I'm wondering too, you know, with the launch of threads Mm -hmm. and, and that becoming the new kind of the new Twitter right? Yeah. Because Musk is kind of running it into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> um, what that means for algorithmic bias um, and if Zuckerberg, because I know he's been, he's been very controversial um, when, when it comes to this kinds of thing and the big data and the data mining and all of that. Um, so I'd be curious if in an attempt to kind of take down Twitter or get more people to his platform mm-hmm. that he would want to employ some of those practices, whether out of you know, guilt or the greater good, right? Right. Consumer profiling. You know, mm-hmm. once upon a time, many of these things would be addressed in a focus group or an interview where folks would be compensated. But in a space of social listening or like people filling out profiles, you just, you know, develop consumer profiles. You can do trending and forecasting, which are typical things in advertising and PR. All these things are done easily, no compensation. And um, again, like you said, whose whose interests do the platform serve? And is there a possibility, and we know there is, there's always a possibility to serve multiple interests at the same time, right? Like how can we develop more inclusive and ethical spaces so that people can, you know, still enjoy their entertainment, still enjoy their pop culture, and be, you know, protected. It's just interesting because we're in this rapid progression of media and technology and it's unregulated. Deeply unregulated. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Well, for the sake of us getting on a whole other soapbox, <laughs> I'm gonna bring us to the next question here, um, which is kind of to wrap us all up, right? You know, what advice would you offer, um, you know, to scholars seeking to tell their own stories, to discover new pathways to incorporate their, you know, these important narratives into their own research and publications and curricula. Um, any insight that you have about anything, really? <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say. Um, I mean, there's so much, but if I just particularly focus on this this project in itself, um, I would say believe in your work. Definitely believe in your work. Um, surround yourself with a community that's going to help incubate your ideas, especially if you're, you know, if some of your ideas may be considered countercultural, if some of your ideas may be a bit disruptive, you want to make sure that you are in a space where you can incubate your idea, um, where it still has integrity, it still has merit, you can still test it and determine its validity, but its validity is not inherently based on how much it aligns with general market standards, right? So you really have to develop that community, which, you know, I love being a part of this research community because it enables that opportunity where you can incubate, test, um, and authenticate quality ideas that don't have to be cookie cutter or mainstream. The other thing that I would say is to really, um, when you're looking at intersectional spaces, um, what helped me a lot was really kind of like mapping things out 
because you want to make sure that you maintain the integrity of, of the voices, but it can start to become very complex when you're dealing with many interdisciplinary, interconnected topics. So like really taking time to parse out what that vision is and mapping out some clear objectives so that make, you can make sure that you kind of like meet the objectives of the project. Um, and looking at the relationship between research, publication, and curriculum, because taking that integrated approach empowers all of those areas. What we research, you know, what we're teaching and what we're practicing in industry, approaching that from an integrated and holistic perspective really produces some outcomes that have integrity, and um, are ethical and are really applicable and relevant in all these spaces. And it, it helps kind of like, you know, I think this is a great idea, right? But then it's tested and you're just like, oh, I think this is a great idea and it's applicable in all of these areas as well. So it's kind of like this nice triangulation that you encounter organically. Absolutely. Well, Joanna, those are all my questions. Thank you so much. <laughs> for your time, your wisdom, your voice. Um, and I, I can't wait to get this book. It's Insecure is one of my favorite TV shows. So I'm incredibly stoked to, to read this and dissect this. And this is a topic I'm very passionate about. So um, thank you again. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share before we leave today? Do you have anything forthcoming? Uh-huh. Well, something that you just mentioned resonated with me, like um, identifying things that you're passionate about, like that passion really um, helps navigate those processes when research or academia or the workplace can become, you know, a bit prickly. So that was definitely something we were all very passionate about these topics, very passionate about this project. And that's something that I like to... Um, to infuse within all of my work. Uh, so what I have upcoming, I've been working on a great deal of curriculum, um, curriculum within the space of inclusive leadership, um, within the space of corporate social responsibility, um, really starting to demystify this space between corporate social responsibility, like CSR and um, ESG. Um, and more writing projects, more storytelling. That's what I've been working on. We need more stories. Um, and let me tell you, the passion comes through from the snippets that I've read. It certainly comes through. Awesome. So thank you so much again. It was such a pleasure. Thank you.